Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Uh, I haven't preached for a long time, uh, eight weeks exactly, and I've enjoyed it. Uh, I don't know if you missed me, but if you have, well, good for you. I certainly haven't missed myself preaching at all. Uh, I want to begin with a story, but I, and I don't know whether it's true. I fact-checked it, and I have found nothing that would suggest that the story is made up. So if you know if this is made up, just let me know so I, I can qualify. But it's a great story nonetheless, even if it is made up. When the soldier of Napoleon's army were invading Russia, they came to a village where every person had fled except one man. He was a Russian peasant a woodsman, and when the army arrived, he still carried his axe in his leather belt. When a captain saw him, a French captain saw him, he ordered that he be shot immediately. The soldiers fell in and pointed their guns at him, but he looked fearlessly down the gun barrels. The French captain noticed this and had his soldiers lower their guns and spared the peasant's life. But, he said, we will put a mark on him. We will brand him. So the ironing, uh, branding iron was brought out and uh, placed in the fire. And that it was placed upon the Russian's hand. The man saw his own flesh burn. He quivered, but he did not flinch or cry out. After the iron was removed, the peasant saw the letter N branded on his palm. What is that, he asked. This is the letter N, and it stands for Napoleon. You belong to Napoleon now, replied the captain. For a moment, the poor man did not know what to do or say. His pain was very intense. And then an idea came to him. He had always been a loyal and patriotic Russian. Now was the time to show it even in the presence of his enemies. At once, he placed his burn hand on something solid. The French soldiers looked on mockingly and laughing and jeering at him. And this man took his axe out of his belt, swinging it high. He brought it down with such might that he severed his own hand. There, he said to the soldiers, my hand may belong to Napoleon, but I am a Russian. If I must die, I will die a Russian. My hand may belong to Napoleon, but not the rest of me. Clearly, this man has consecrated his whole life to Russia. This morning, that is what I want to speak to us about. First things first, consecration. First things first, consecration, which is our theme uh, for last year and also our theme for this year. The word consecrate means to, set apart, to be set apart or to set apart, and it has two dimensions to it. The first focus is on how in Christ we have been set apart by God. An indirect response to being set apart by God, we willingly and lovingly set ourselves apart for Him. That's the second part of consecration. If you attempt the latter, apart from the former, you'll only end up being a self-righteous person. 
So the first part is the foundation. You cannot set yourselves apart for him without first understanding that by God's grace you need to be set apart by him. And that is why last year we focused mainly on the first part by studying, for instance, Luke 15, the parable of the two lost sons. One was irreligious, immoral, and the older brother was moral and religious, but both were lost. And in that parable, what is arguably Jesus' most well-known parable, Jesus said they were both lost. But the focus wasn't so much on the two lost boys as the generous response of the prodigal father, who both uh, insulted him and hurt him deeply. And the, and the incredibly gracious father is a picture of God. This year, our emphasis will be more on the second part, setting ourselves apart for him, for God. In our text this morning, we will see these two dimensions come into focus. And it's from Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. And I'll read it to us, and you can follow on the screen. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's, Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. How will I get pregnant? Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she was she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. And Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Well, this is a very, very familiar story told very often at every Christmas. When the angel Gabriel makes a spectacular announcement that Mary, a virgin, will miraculously give birth to the long-awaited Messiah, she was probably between 12 to 16 years old. That was when most Jewish women married upon reaching puberty. We don't know how long she was engaged to Joseph, a carpenter, but the period of engagement normally lasts 12 months, after which they would marry. And I should add, engagement back then was a firm commitment to marry. Okay? It's, it's unlike engagement, our understanding of engagement in the 21st century. Pay attention to Gabriel's words to Mary. Luke tells us that it was the words of the angel that agitated her. It wasn't just per, it didn't just perplex her, it troubled her, it agitated her. It wasn't the appearance of the angel. And if it were me, an angel, you know, popped into my room and speaks to me, I would be more 
more taken up with the appearance of the angel rather than his message. Why an angel freak out? I wouldn't be able to hear a thing. Now, opinions are divided on this. Some say it might be that uh, Mary never saw Gabriel, but only heard him. That's why he, she was more agitated by what was said rather than the appearance. But why would she be troubled by what appears to be very affirming words, right? Very sweet words, very encouraging words that were meant to put Mary at ease. Why was she troubled by that? We will come to that. But first, Gabriel's words again. Greetings or rejoice. You who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. In some other Bible versions, you read, uh, rejoice, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Both translations are correct because what they're saying is God has freely extended and conferred His grace and abundant favor to Mary. That's what the Greek word means from which these uh, two translations are based on. The greeting is not saying that Mary possesses some kind of substance called grace to be dispensed with to everyone who prays to her. The angel's greeting is not about Mary or how good she is or how deserving she is or what she has done. It is about what God does for her. It is God's glorious grace to her. She was not without uh, sin, as some erroneously teach. The point of this exchange, the point of the story, is not how amazing Mary is, but how astonishing, how extravagant God's grace is towards Mary. And that is the heart of the Christian faith. Now, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, God reminds us again and again and again how we are completely unworthy and undeserving of His grace. Psalms 103, verse 10, King David writes, He does not treat us, that is, God does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. That's God's grace there, because if God were to dish out punishment and, or, or treat us the way our sins deserve, all of us would be in a lot of serious strife. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 to 9, we have the Lord giving the people a history lesson, who at this point, uh, at this juncture, had an abysmal CV. Even so, God says by, says, by way of declaring His commitment to them, for you are a holy people to God. Those of you familiar with Deuteronomy, you would realize by this stage, oh, the people of Israel have been so unfaithful time and time and time again, whinging, whinging, whinging every step of the way. And here God says to them, He makes this declaration over them despite their horrible CV. You are a holy people to the Lord your God. Amazing, isn't it? For the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you or ch nor chose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all the peoples. In other words, God is saying to them, it's not because of any inherent qualities about you that I've chosen you, because you have none. You're the smallest nation compared to other tribes. Why did I choose you? Because I love you for no other reason. And because I will keep the oath which I swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you 
from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful one who keeps covenant with you. God is extremely prodigal. He's extremely extravagant when it comes to his grace. And that is one of the things we learned from our study in Luke 15 last year. And we mustn't deviate from that or move away from that critical foundation and our understanding of what consecration is all about. Sometimes an ewe will give birth to a lamb and rejects it. There's no reason for it. Uh, there's no scientific explanation for it. But once an ewe decides to do this, her mind is made up, and she can be very nasty to her baby. I've seen YouTube clips of it. It's just horrible. And the lamb would come wanting to, to, to feed, and the ewe would just trash the lamb. Horrible. And even if the lamb is returned to her, she will kick the poor animal away. These little lambs in response will hang their heads so low that it looks like there's something wrong with its neck. No, there's nothing wrong with them physically. It's that, that the spirit is broken. These lambs are called bummer lambs. They're called bummer lambs. Unless the shepherd intervenes, the lamb will die, rejected and alone. So this is what the shepherd does. He takes that rejected little lamb into his home, hands, hand feeds it, and keeps it warm by the fire. He wraps it up with blankets, holds it to his chest, so that the bummer lamb can feel his heart beat and feels cuddle and feels love. And once the lamb is strong enough, the shepherd will release it back to the field to be with the rest of the flock. However, that sheep will always remember how that the shepherd cared for him. How do we know this? Well, when the shepherd calls for the flock, guess who runs to him first? <laughs> guess who runs to him first? That's right, it's the bummer sheep. See right there, the bummer sheep. It knows the shepherd's voice intimately. It's not that the bummer lamb is loved more. It just knows intimately the one who loves it. It is not that it is loved more, it just believes that it is loved because it has experienced the love one-on-one. -on -one. See, all of us are bummer lambs. <laughs> We're all bummer lambs, to one degree or another, lost, broken, rejected because of our pride and rebellion or because of our upbringing. But Jesus, the Good Shepherd, spoken of in Psalms 23 and in John 10, he intervenes. He leaves the 99 sheep, we're told, safe in the pen, and he looks out for that one lost bummer lamb who is in need of his intervention. And when he finds this bummer lamb, he carries his bummer lamb close to his heart and brings it back to him. To nurse that bummer lamb back into health. And he does this for no other reason than the shepherd is compassionate. Jesus does it for no other reason other than the fact that it is in his nature to do so. So whoever you are this morning, 
God wants you to know afresh, you are highly favored. You have found favor with God. Greetings. You don't need an angel Gabriel to tell you. It'd be nice for Gabriel to tell us that. I, I would like that. But if he doesn't appear to you, it's in your book. It's in your Bible. The message that he spoke to Mary is still relevant and is still true and still applies. Greetings. Rejoice. You are highly favored. I have extended and bestowed upon you my favor. The Lord is with you. Know that God smiles over you with delight in Christ Jesus. As Keller writes, If I have the smile of God, all other frowns are inconsequential. Amen? If it hurts, it still pains, but knowing that God smiles upon us means that all other frowns are inconsequential. In Christ, we have been fully and completely set apart by God. That's the first dimension of consecration. Like Mary, we have a decision to make in response to Gabriel's greetings. That's the second part of consecration. Now, back to the question I'd asked earlier. Why was Mary agitated by what Gabriel said? You see, when she heard the greeting, you are highly favored, the Lord is with you, she knew that she was standing in the tradition of Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Gideon, and prophets of old, who had similar visitation from God before he gives them their crucial assignments. And so when Mary heard Gabriel speak, she was probably thinking, God, thank you for this visit. What is your mission? <laughs> because you don't visit me or greet me like this for no other reason other than the fact that you have a mission for me. That's why she was agitated. What is God wanting me to do? What is God asking of me? And so when, God, when Gabriel told her, she felt entirely justified in her agitation, right? She was going to conceive and give birth to the Savior of the world through the Holy Spirit miraculously. How on earth is she going to explain to Joseph without offending his intelligence or looking like a total nut job, right? Uh, Joseph, uh, in a few weeks' time, you'll see my tummy pop. I haven't slept with anyone. You know biology. I know biology. But an angel. This is conceived. God did something. He, he, she conce he conceived me. He conceived a baby in me. Yeah. I've heard a lot of excuses for adultery. That's got to be the first. God made you pregnant. That is what you're expecting me to believe, Mary. Yes. You are a total nut job. Right? She's thinking ahead. How am I going to explain this to Joe? And Joe would be completely justified upon finding out and wanting to divorce her. And according to the parallel account in the Gospel of Matthew, Joseph made that decision. 
albeit it was going to do it quietly out of compassion for Mary. There would be irreparable damage to her reputation and future because the consequences at the time in that part of the world, the consequences of being an adulteress were terrible. Yeah? Your, your future, you, you basically you kiss goodbye to your future. No one is going to marry you if they find out that you're an adulteress. So in other words, the mission that, that Gabriel gave her was going to be a very costly one. Because remember, at that time, she had no idea how Joseph was going to respond to her, right? Had no idea whatsoever. She, he could dump me in justifiably so and say, woman, I'm going to break off our engagement. I love you. I'm going to break it off. How could you do this to me? And then cook up the story that God made you pregnant? You think I was born yesterday? So Mary had no idea. And so here she's in this place going, okay, I'm going to be carrying the child of the Savior in my womb. I was thinking ahead, my future, my reputation, what will people think? How will my parents react? And so on and so forth. Having considered Gabriel's words to her, Mary, aged between 12 and 16, answered Gabriel this way, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Wow. Now, it needs to be said that, that Mary's decision was not without struggle. It was not without fear, anxiety about her future. She's not a machine. She's not a robot. But through prayer and dialogue, she worked it through with God. How do we know this? Because Luke tells us in verse 27 that even though Mary was greatly troubled by, what, by Gabriel's words and the implications, in your Bible's translation, it says she considered them. The Greek word translated as considered is the same word from which dialogue in English is derived. And it means intense and thorough reflection. In other words, in the midst of her struggles, in the midst of her, of her fears and anxieties and misgivings, she was in dialogue, intense dialogue with God over it. See, she didn't withdraw herself. She didn't cut herself off. She didn't do what Jonah did and ran off. She said, this is hard. This is hard. Luke doesn't tell us, but I'm sure Mary would have said to, the, to Gabriel, how am I going to tell this to Joseph? Do you know what the implications of this is? Great that I've been chosen, but this is enormous. This is a huge cost on me. She kept talking to God over it. And God welcomed it. But this intense dialogue also helped Mary greatly with her decision-making. As someone graciously and extravagantly set aside by God, she now sets herself aside for God. That's what her words mean and imply her words to Gabriel. I am going to set myself apart for you. You have set me apart by grace. In response, I willingly submit to this tough assignment. I will do it willingly no matter what the cost. 
And this ought to be our goal in life, not a happy, comfortable life, although there's nothing wrong with wanting that. Someone wrote, the mark of a saint is not perfection, but consecration. A saint is not without faults, but a saint is a man who has given himself without reserve to God. That's what consecration is, to give ourselves to God without reserve. Mary was such a person, and God is asking of us to be such a people. For application of this message, I can't think of a better one than celebrating communion. Because I think communion captures perfectly these two ideas of consecration. When we come to the Lord's table, we remember the Lord Jesus' costly sacrifice that set us apart for a holy God, His sinless life for our sinful life. He was condemned that we might be forgiven. He was rejected that we might be accepted and loved. He was wounded that we might be healed. But as He got closer to making this great exchange, this unjust trade-off, the burden became too unbearable for Him. But still He said to the Father, not my will, but yours be done. And not unlike what His earthly mother said to Gabriel many, many years ago. But when we come to the Lord's table, it is also an opportunity to consider how, we, how God might want us to set ourselves apart for Him willingly, lovingly, as a response to His selfless act of sacrifice on the cross that transformed us from bummer lambs into lambs that are highly favored. That consecration is best summed up by Jesus' words to all of us. Will you follow me, no matter the cost? No matter where it takes you, no matter where it lands you, will you follow me? This year, God might be asking you to step out of your comfort zone, to trust Him and to obey Him in areas of, li- of your life that you have been resisting Him on, to set apart specific areas of your life for His glory and purpose, areas you've not surrendered totally to Him, areas of your life that you have kept Him out of. So as we eat and as we drink, I want to challenge you to say to the Lord what Mary said to Gabriel. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Whatever that word is. (laughs) I don't know what he's going to say to you in 2021. Will you be open to that? Will you be open to to some tough assignments that are coming your way? Will you say, like Mary said, yes, I don't understand the implication of this. I don't understand the true cost of this. I know it's going to be costly. I know it's going to be uncomfortable. But my answer is, yes, I am your servant. May, it, may your word to me be fulfilled. Like bummer lambs, let us run to our great shepherd. And let's consecrate our whole lives to Him without reserve. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.